You're listening to a Ridgewood Church podcast. Well, good morning and welcome to Ridgewood Church. We're so glad to have you with us. My name is Neil Eukel. I'm the Outreach and Discipleship Pastor here. So glad that you've joined us for worship today. I want to welcome those of you joining us online as well. We're so glad to have you with us wherever you are this morning. One of the things that we are passionate about here at Ridgewood Church is helping you share your story. And that's because we believe that your story happens to be one of the most powerful things that you possess. Because each one of us has a story that God has led us through throughout our lives. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then one of the most powerful parts of your story is the story of how he brought you from death to life. Because before we come to know Jesus, we are dead in sin. And it's only through His Holy Spirit awakening us that we become alive. That's the new birth that the Bible talks about. And baptism happens to be one of the best ways to share that part of your story. And so we want to encourage you that if you have not yet been baptized as a believer to get baptized at our outdoor baptism service happening on August 15th uh, in Excelsior. We've got a slide up on the screen for you. Uh, But this is a great opportunity to share your story of how God brought about that change in your life to the point where you decided to put your faith in Jesus. You'll find in the seat backs in front of you a little card like this that says baptism at the top of it. Uh, This Uh, There's some information that you can put on the back of that card on this side uh, that just has a little bit of uh, of, uh, your name, email, that sort of stuff, so that we can get in touch with you if you want to be baptized or if you have questions about baptism or are interested in hearing more about it. We would love to get in touch with you so that we can hear your story of how God has brought about the change in your life to the point where you put your faith in Jesus and get you all set up to be baptized with us on August 15th. You can drop that off in the boxes that are on the sides here as you leave today. Uh, you can bring them right out to the hub after the service as well and drop those off there. And we'll be in touch with you very soon to get you all set up for that service. Now this morning, uh, we are continuing our series in the book of Daniel that we have titled Faithful. And over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Paul has gotten us introduced to Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, what's interesting about these four guys is they were basically like the valedictorians of their class in Jerusalem when they lived there. They were the cream of the crop, the best and the brightest in Jerusalem. But when Babylon took over Jerusalem, they took and, and basically exiled the best and the brightest in Jerusalem and transported them all the way to Babylon. And we can gloss over that reality when we read about it in Scripture because, I mean, let's be honest, we're not really familiar with the geography of the ancient Near East. But to put this in a little bit of perspective, the journey from Jerusalem to Babylon, that was 900 miles. That would be like us picking up this morning and walking all the way to Chicago and back. That's about 900 miles. That's a significant journey, is it not? I mean, I've never walked to Chicago and back. Don't plan to any time in my lifetime. Uh, But that is a long distance. No planes, trains, or automobiles uh, in that day either. They were walking it. So that is a significant trial that they faced. The sheer journey itself over the rough terrain 
Uh, if they walked about 10 hours per day, it would have taken them a month to walk that distance. If they walked about 10 hours per day, it would take them one month to complete. That's a massive trial in and of itself. Now you compound on the top of that, that they are now a captive people being taken from their homes, from their families, and transported to a land that they had never even heard of before. That is a significant trial. And just like that, we all have trials that we go through in our lives of various kinds uh, that cause us to ask certain questions, that cause us to ask God certain questions. And it's a real test of faith when we go through those trials. And what I hope to do today is we're going to give you four ways that God uses trials in our lives for our good and for his greater purpose. And we're going to do that in Daniel chapter 3. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. In verse 8, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. So if you're on a Bible app, you can go to the ESV. If you're reading from the Bibles in the pews in front of you, it's on page 739. Daniel verse 8 says, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Now, a couple things to keep in mind, as Pastor Paul shared just last week, Nebuchadnezzar has just constructed this 90-foot-tall statue of himself, uh, of, of pure gold, and said, You must bow down and worship whenever you hear the sound of all these musical instruments. So what Nebuchadnezzar has done is he has brought the religion of Babylon in direct conflict with the religion of the Jewish people, with the religion of the God of the Bible. So he is contradicting how the God of the Bible says we should worship. Because you have Nebuchadnezzar on one hand saying, bow down and worship this idol. And you have God in the first two of the Ten Commandments saying explicitly, have no other gods before me and Do not bow down and worship any carved or graven image. So if you're checking off the list of disobedience, Nebuchadnezzar checks off those first two of those first two commandments as being disobedient to what God said. So Daniel, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this case, have come to this point of immense conflict. And not only that, but you see that word Jews at the end of verse 8? It's a very interesting word in the Bible. Uh, It is used a lot in the New Testament, but when it comes to the Old Testament, it really only shows up in the books of the Bible that talk about the Babylonian captivity. Books like Daniel, books like Esther, books like Nehemiah, books like Ezra. It is prevalent in those books alone in the Old Testament. Now, why might that be? Well, when we think about it, they are a captive people, and I don't think that this term was one that they brought up for themselves. I think it was given to them by their captors as a way of telling them, you're not part of us. This is not your home anymore. You are, in our, you are on our turf now, and you need to do what we say. You see, it took the geographic area of Judah where they had come from, and, it, and they made it an ethnic identifier. And I think that was intentional on the part of the Babylonians to make them feel isolated, to make them feel alone. So not only do you have the religious conflict for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but you have this ethnic distinction that they are being confronted with day in and day out 
in their captivity that tells them, you don't belong here. Now let's see what this malicious accusation was from these Chaldeans, which is just a, uh, another word for Babylonians, by the way. Uh, they declared, this is verse 9, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigen, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So the main question, I think, that lies underneath this entire conflict that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going through, the question that's underneath this trial that they are facing is the question, will they remain faithful to God? And I think likewise, whenever we go through trials in our lives, the question that we need to ask is the same. Will we remain faithful to God in the midst of a trial? That is the foundational question that is at stake whenever we face a trial in our lives. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did stay faithful. It says, they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they respond in faith. But what is it that brings that faith to play out in their lives? You see, one of the ways, and this is our first way that God uses trials in our life, God uses trials in our life to highlight the power of faith. And this is not a faith that we muster up from within ourselves, that we bring up from within ourselves to say, we can go and do this. There's nothing that's going to stop us. We are powerful and we can endure it. It's not that type of faith. You see, too often when we face trials, we can fall into thinking that we need to be this, that we are supposed to be this version of Superman or Superwoman, where trials in our life just bounce off of us and don't affect us. But that's not the case. You see, trials have a way of showing us the faith that we have in the midst of those trials comes directly from God. You see, we don't have that in and of ourselves. And I've been to the point where I have fallen on my knees in my life at the lowest of lows. And I can testify that it's not anything in me that brought me through a season like that. One of the most significant trials in my life happened about five years ago uh, in an intense battle with anxiety. You see, this was like uh, nothing I had ever experienced before. It was like this dark cloud was hanging over my head that was influencing all my thoughts. And I started to think that there was this inevitable end that I was going to destroy my life. It was like this cataclysmic sort of thing that was going to happen where I was going to fail miserably. And in trying to basically reason my way that, no, that was never going to happen. It started this crazy cycle of thinking. I couldn't sleep at night. I would take these walks at like 2 o'clock in the morning because I simply could not sleep. It affected everything in my life. It affected my work. It affected my 
marriage, it affected everything. And that trial brought me to my knees. And at that point, I knew that it wasn't anything in me that was going to muster up the energy to persevere. But I started to see God do things in my life at that point. You see, God connected me with an amazing counselor, an amazing therapist who was a follower of Jesus, who helped me develop some really awesome practices that helped me deal with it in a more productive way. I got connected with a doctor who also happened to be a follower of Jesus, who prescribed some medication that helped me in that season to endure and to get through. See, God brought these people that I had never known before that also happened to be followers of Jesus into my life for that season. And God was working to keep the faith alive in me. Because I tell you, there were moments that I was on my knees asking God, I need your help. And in those moments, I can tell you it wasn't anything in me that made me keep going. But it was truly, it was the faith that God had put in me that protected, that preserved me in that season. To the point where I was able to endure. And it's not like I never have hard days anymore or anything like that. But God has given me, through these people he put into my life, God has given me the ability to endure and equipped me with more skills than I had back then to deal with anxiety when it does come. Because it's not the strength that we muster up that gets us through these trials, but it is the abiding faith that God puts in us that causes us, it causes us to endure. That's what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this case. It was the faith that God had put in them that caused them to endure. Let's see how Nebuchadnezzar responded to that. Pick up in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigen, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have set up, well and good. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You see, just when you thought the conflict couldn't get any more tense, they are brought into the very courtroom, into the very presence of the most powerful man in the world at that time, who could snap his fingers and sentence them to, to certain death. And he basically tells them, I don't know if you didn't hear me correctly the first time. You see, I'm king around here, and I tell you what to do. Now you can bow down and worship or be executed. And in the midst of that moment, what was their response? When the tension was at its highest, it says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, 
our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, if you underline, highlight, circle, write notes in the margin of your Bible, circle those words or mark those words, but if not. Because when we get in the thick of a trial, it's often those words that we end up thinking about. It's the, what if the healing doesn't come? What if the chemo doesn't work? What if my marriage is not saved? What if my kids never come back to faith in Jesus? It's those moments where we need to come back to the, but if not. You see, it's not that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't think God could deliver them. They say that. God is able to deliver them. And they have faith that He will. But if not, they will remain faithful. And that's where the underlying question that we come back to, will we remain faithful in the midst of trials? You see, in the second way that God uses trials in our lives is that God uses trials to deepen our contentment in Him. Because it's often in the midst of a trial where things that we have put our hope in, that we have put our trust in, are being removed. They're going away in some way, shape, or form, and we are left with where we will find our, where will we find our contentment? And God is the place where our contentment needs to be. And that is one of the ways that God will use trials in our lives. He did that for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you imagine? Essentially, the situation calls for a a choice. Do they have their contentment in their own lives, in their circumstances, in their position in the kingdom? Or do they have their contentment in God himself? And their answer is that they have contentment in God alone. How does Nebuchadnezzar respond? He says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered... That some of the mighty, and he ordered some of the mighty men in his, of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. So at that moment, at the height where it seems like there's no more hope, surely they will be burned alive. They've been thrown into this fiery furnace And not even that, but it says, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who had took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The flames were so hot that just by being over the platform, the people that threw them in died right then and there. 
And then it says, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, and this is where it all shifts, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. That kind of gives me goosebumps to imagine what that would have been like for those three. They are in the midst of this hot, hot furnace, and walking around with them in the midst of that is this angel delivering them, keeping them from getting burned. And if you're circling, highlighting things in your Bible, mark those words, in the midst Because too often we can feel like when we are going through a trial, it's as if God is standing way off to the side of everything with his arms crossed, standing back, disinterested, saying, I wonder how they'll answer, how they'll handle this one. I wonder how he'll take this. I wonder how she'll respond to that. And we feel like God is distant. But I got news for you it's God in the midst of those trials with you as you go through it. Whatever trial that you are going through, whatever God has brought to your doorstep, God is with you in the midst of it. And he is working for you in the midst of that trial. You see, it's God's presence in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that allowed them to persevere. You see, God was in the midst And God is in the midst with you in whatever trial you are enduring. Let's see what happens next. Verse 26 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors, basically anyone who was anybody in the king's cabinet, came, gathered together, and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel... And delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, and this is remarkable, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You see, the third way that God uses trials in our life, sometimes the trial itself is the means of his deliverance. And that's a hard truth for us to grapple with. 
Because so often when we are on our knees in the midst of a trial and we go to God and we ask God, we want Him to remove the trial altogether. We want Him to take away the pain. We want Him to take away the uncertainty of the situation that we are in. But sometimes it's the trial itself that is the means of the deliverance. And here in this story, they were, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted because of this trial they went through. And maybe God's plan for deliverance in your trial is not a promotion. But what if God is working in and through a trial in your life? What if He has worked in the past in a trial in your life to grow you from one degree of faith to the next? You see, it's only in the context of trial sometimes that God can do the work in us that He needs to do to move us from one degree of faith in Him to the next. That's how God works in our life. And let me tell you, it's not often the deliverance that we want in a trial, but it's true. And I've seen it time and time again in people that who have gone through very hard things, that this is how God has produced in them this faith, this enduring faith that will last through anything that life brings their way. And sometimes they have the most contentment in God of anyone because they have seen Him work in the midst of fire in their lives. That is the deliverance that God has that can only come through trial. That's the promise that God has for us when we endure trials. He is growing us. He is molding us, shaping us from one degree of usefulness in His kingdom to the next. You think, about, think about a flywheel in a, in a massive engine. You have smaller flywheels in your vehicles, in your engines, in your cars, but there are massive flywheels in this world that exist in power plants that spin uh, giant belts on things like ski lifts. There are massive metal structures like flywheels in this world. And how does something like that get formed? How is metal forged? It's forged in fire. It's forged in intense heat and intense pressure that transforms steel from one shape into another so that it can be useful for something. And it's kind of like that, how God shapes and molds us in the midst of heat and pressure and trials. That's how He shapes us and molds us in the midst of trials. And we're going to finish up here with the first three verses of chapter 4, which is King Nebuchadnezzar's actual decree to the province of Babylon as a result of what he has seen. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. And this is all from a guy that does not love God. But he cannot deny the reality of what he has seen. 
You see, the fourth way that God uses trials in our life is that sometimes God uses trials as part of his greater plan of redemption. You see, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being thrown into the fiery furnace, they didn't know the outcome like we know when we read the story. They didn't know what was going to come of it. They had to trust God in the middle of it. But through their trial, it's not just God's work in them that comes to pass, but it is God's plan of redemption for his entire people. The Jewish people obtained faith from rulers time and time again through these miraculous instances of deliverance in books like Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah. It happens over and over again in this context of exile. See, God uses those things as part of his grander plan of redemption. In God's mind, in God's plan, in God's actions, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. While yes, there is work that God does in and through us to bring us from one degree of faith to the next, it doesn't stop at just us. And for the trial that you have gone through, the trial that you are in right now, God will use it in his greater plan of redemption, no matter what it is. Because God is building in you a story of his deliverance. God is building in you a story of his abiding faith and power to keep you from stumbling in the midst of your trial. And I've seen it time and time again. When we start to share those stories with people, people start to wonder what is different about us. What is different about the way that we endure suffering, the way that we mourn loss? Because we do not mourn as people that have no hope, but we mourn as a people with a great hope that will endure forever and ever. So when you go through trials, don't think that God doesn't have a purpose or a plan for it. It might not remove the pain of that season. It might not remove the difficulty that you're going through, but he has a purpose and he has a greater plan because he's done it time and time again. He's faithful. He's true to his word. He will never leave you or forsake you. And as we come to a close this morning, I want to ask you to think about a trial that you've gone through in the past or a trial that you're going through right now. What is a perspective that you can have that will allow God to continue to mold you and shape you in the midst of it? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. We love you. We thank you that you have sent your son to die for us on the cross. That you have made a way for us to come into relationship with you, Lord, and that you now work all things together for our good and for your glory and your greater purposes, Father. And we know that it's in our relationship with you, God, that we see this truth come to fruition in our lives, Lord. And so if, if, if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, if you have not put your faith in Him, 
and you feel God stirring in your heart today to make that decision, to take that step forward in faith and invite God into your heart to say, I need you, then pray this along with me. We just say that, God, I'm sorry that I have sinned and fallen away from you, Lord. I'm sorry that I have turned from you. And Lord, I set aside that sin in my life. I turn away from it and I run to you, Lord. I thank you that because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, I can know you in a loving relationship with you, God. And I need that. I want that. I deeply desire that in my heart and life. So would you come in to my heart, make your home in me, and help me to live for you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, if you took that step and put your faith in Jesus, then we've got a connect card that's in the seat backs in front of you that you can fill out a little bit of information on there. And we would love to connect with you. We would love to hear the story of how God has brought you to this point of putting your faith in Jesus so that we can help you start to take some steps in that new relationship with him. You can fill that card out and walk it uh, back to the hub uh, right outside these center doors here after the service today. We would love to meet you and hear from you and, and get to know you a little bit. Let's stand in worship as we respond this morning. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.